Genre. To the protagonist podcast where each week we look at a great character and a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're discussing Paddington Bear from the film Paddington 2. And joining us for the discussion is returning guest Scott Crelly. Welcome, Scott. Hi. Very glad to have you on and very excited to be talking about Paddington 2. It's been mm-hmm. one I've been meaning to get to for a while. Mm-hmm. It's a perfect movie. It is. And I've been saying that since I saw it. And I think a lot of people who know me thought I was joking. <laughs> Like, yeah, it was, no, it was a bit I, I was doing. Yeah, so many people don't believe that this movie is as good as it. It's just, is there a movie that is this satisfying, like to watch, where there's not a single dangling thread, like not a single, everything that's set up is paid off. Every single thing happens for a reason. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy how well constructed this movie is. And even with it, so that I, I 100% agree, like all the narrative beats, uh, you know, it's it's like um, at, at the beginning, we had a set of like Chekhov's talents where like we're told what every family member has been up to since we mm-hmm. last saw them. And every single one of those things is going to have significance, but also they pay off well enough in the moment that you can think it's just a joke for that moment. Right. But it turns out it's a setup for the finale. Right. Um, <laughs> but also, like, besides that, it just makes me feel so good to watch this movie oh <laughs> like it's, yeah it's just it's like a ted lasso thing where it's like you know be, be good to other people and, and the world's a better place is the overall message yeah i mean that's that's essentially like like ted lasso is basically just r-rated paddington right i mean that's <laughs> that's essentially what that show is <laughs> yes paddington with f-bombs <laughs> yes <laughs> well uh this um november our goal on the protagonist podcast was to do Stories that made us feel good. And that's why I thought, okay, I really have to cover Paddington too. And conveniently enough, we'll also be covering Ted Lasso soon. Uh, ah. <laughs> soon this month. Uh, but that's why I, I, I wanted to do this one. And I reached out to you, Scott, because I'd seen you praise Paddington too, um, as well on, on social media. Do you remember when you first like discovered Paddington 2? I saw it in theaters uh, like opening night because I was so excited because I loved the first Paddington. Um, the first Paddington I probably saw, I was, it was probably like a week to two weeks after it had opened because like most things I had just like, Oh, it's a kid's movie. It's not for me. Let that's okay. Maybe mm-hmm. one day when I'm a dad, I'll, I'll take my kids to see the dumb kids movies, but I'm, I'm a man and I'm not going to <laughs> go see this. Um, and so I kind of just ignored it, but I kept, I kept hearing that it's like, people were like, it's actually pretty good. And Nicole Kidman's really great in it. And, uh, I, and I, I guess somebody I know that I trust whose opinion I trust some critic or something was just raving about that first Paddington to, uh, to the extent that I was like, well, all right, I guess I'll go and check this out. And so I dragged my girlfriend kicking and screaming, uh, to go see this movie because she doesn't she doesn't love seeing kids stuff and i'm i'm constantly dragging her to see those she always loves them at the end by the time the credits roll but like dragging her there it's like it's like how laundry is always worse before you do it and then you're doing it you're like (laughs) this isn't that bad um but like yeah so i dragged her to see the first paddington and from like the first frame of that movie where it was like a like an old nature documentary um i was like kind of blown away and was like wow this is so much better and more like artistic and creative than it has any right to be um and uh and was so so impressed with it at the end of the day but you know it was still like yeah i really liked that movie but when the sequel was coming out i was still really excited to see it but i was not prepared for the level of like genius and (laughs) that this movie is i mean this is like a legitimate masterpiece i think um i think it's the best kids film ever made uh i i can't imagine or or i guess family film if you want to be more specific but i think it's the most the the like the greatest family film ever made um certainly in live action and i i'm just every time i watch this movie i'm blown away by how good it is uh it's impeccably directed it the 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 writing is incredible every actor is 
all the way in uh, with with this movie. Like they all are giving 110%. I mean, to say nothing about Hugh Grant, who is incredible in this movie, but everybody is on the same. And I don't know if that's just the actors, if if that's, that's credit to the actors or credit to Paul King, knowing how to explain the, this movie and the tone that he's going for. Um, I don't, I'm not exactly sure what it, what, where it all comes from, but it amounts to, a masterpiece of a film, I think. My journey with Paddington is fairly similar to yours in that I'd heard so many good things about the first Paddington. I I think I rented it to watch with my daughter uh, when it when it came out on DVD and thought it was delightful and charming. And then mm-hmm. I kept hearing that Paddington 2 was even better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and even knowing, like even with that bar, like being clearly established by critics and what I was seeing, you know, I was not prepared for how much I loved Paddington 2 where I really do come away of just that's a perfect movie. There's nothing I would change about that. Uh, and when I say it's a perfect movie, I don't, I'm not saying it's like the, the greatest piece of art in history, but it is perfect for what it's trying to accomplish. Everything comes together for yes. its goal. And I don't know that you could watch it and not enjoy it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And that's the thing that I think a lot of people don't understand with criticism is for some reason, everyone thinks that it's like a competition mm-hmm. where it's like, well, Paddington two can't be that good because all of these other movies exist yeah, it can't that are be better. better than the Godfather. Yeah. How can it be better than the Godfather? And it's like, it's not, it's just, it's just like better than most movies at what they're trying to do. Like it's, doing exactly what it needs to do. It's it, it set out to be a particular thing and it's the perfect version of that particular thing. And that is more than you can say for most movies. And so I think that's what's so impressive <laughs> yeah. about it. And I liked what you were identifying about all the actors and uh, like the costume design and the mm-hmm. set design and everything just comes together perfectly for what they are trying to do. Because um, I think we sometimes get lost in like the auteur theory of filmmaking where it's like Steven Spielberg's vision and, uh, you know, is, is what's going to make a movie great. And the director is hugely important, but there's also literally hundreds and thousands of people that right. come together to make a film. And somehow everything was just clicking perfectly for Paddington, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's incredible. And I'm terrified of Paddington 3 because yes. <laughs> I know that Paul King's not coming back. Yeah. And and and, and who knows what the situation there is going to be. I think he might be writing it though. Yeah, which well, makes he, me he was going to do the story, but not the screenplay. Is what okay. I saw. Okay. Um, okay. I mean, it's so much work to do the screenplay and to direct. I understand it's much easier yeah. to break down the story and and say this is you know a, a good vision for a Paddington film. I think right. a huge part of it is going to be what British actor do they get to have a lot of fun playing a villain? <laughs> I I think there's only one choice, and I think it needs to be Colin Firth, who mm. was originally cast as Paddington in the in the first movie and then stepped away because he himself was watching footage of him as Paddington, the voice of Paddington. And he was like, this isn't working. Is it? I don't think it's working. It doesn't feel right. It's a little too deep. Maybe I don't. Yeah. Yeah. And so he, he walked away because he was like, you guys deserve this movie deserves a better voice for this Hmm. character. I don't think it's me. And so he stepped away and is now missed out on two excellent movies. And so (laughs) I think they owe it to him for doing the right thing and soldiering on, uh, by letting him come back and play the villain in the third one. Uh, It it would be so much fun. Uh, It just seems like these movies must be a delight to work on. Oh yeah. Well, I I mean, we kind of jumped some into the discussion. So maybe for anyone who isn't familiar with Paddington 2, it was a 2017 film written by Paul King and Simon Farnaby and directed by Paul King. And it featured Ben Wishaw as the voice of Paddington. Did I say that name right? It's one of those names that I've only seen written. (laughs) I'm not 100% sure on Ben Wishaw's pronunciation there. Yeah, I think that's right. I'm going to go with Wishaw. It's W-H-I-S-H-A-W. And it starred Hugh Bonneville as Henry Brown, Sally Hawkins as Mary Brown, and Hugh Grant as Phoenix Buchanan. Cannon, and it tells the story of Paddington being wrongly accused of theft and sent to prison while the Brown family works to prove his innocence. All right, some trivia about Paddington 2. This is the sequel to the 2014 film Paddington, and the film is dedicated to Michael Bond, who wrote the Paddington Bear books. He passed away the same year that Paddington 2 was released, and this film made 227. The, the writer of Paddington never got to see Paddington 2? I don't know how far along in the production cycle it was, but he oh. the first credit is dedicated to him because he had passed away. So. That is heartbreaking. 
yeah i mean there's been a lot of Padding- paddington adaptations i actually didn't go put, look that up i should have i'm sure this is one of those like characters that you don't appreciate how frequently paddington is is being put out <laughs> into mm-hmm. pop culture um but yeah th- this must have been like the th- this is the apex version of paddington right <laughs> yeah i mean i don't think anyone would disagree with that <laughs> Uh, the film would go on to make $227 million at the worldwide box office, and it held the record for most positive reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. So so having a 100% score on Rotten Tomatoes isn't unique, but Paddington 2 had the most reviews in and still maintained a 100% uh, positive score with 245 reviews until the 246th review was written in 2021 uh out of spite it seems to be it seems to be like critic with an axe to grind who definitely did not want this film to hold the record for best reviewed film in history i think a similar thing happened with ladybird where it had a perfect score and then it seemed like a, a reviewer just didn't want that to have the record and so well, it dropped into review yeah but that happened at the time of its release mm-hmm. not like paddington 2 which is that it like it beat citizen kane and then somebody just out of spite comes flying in off the top rope. <laughs> yeah, just just wrote a review, clearly had never seen the movie and somehow Rotten Tomatoes allowed that to be a legitimate review and uh and and bumped it down um, yeah, below. It, it now feel, it has like 99%. It doesn't yeah. even have 100. Yeah. It does feel like uh this review could have been written based on the trailer because this is Eddie Harrison who wrote the review. He says, uh instead of the button eyes and cheerful demeanor, this Paddington has evil beady eyes and ratty fur. Uh, and then a little later in the review, he says considerations of race and identity key to the Paddington character are not addressed and situations that this Paddington finds himself in are contrived and ridiculous. It shouldn't happen to a bear, <laughs> which I think this film actually is addressing issues of uh, cultural others and uh, immigration and, yeah. and scapegoating, uh, it, it, which is why I'm saying, like, did, did he watch this film? <laughs> <laughs> no, he absolutely did not watch the movie, um, but he was yeah. still allowed to publish that review and uh, be a legitimate critic on Rotten Tomatoes. Yes. Um, yeah. And, and my, my favorite line, uh, this is not my Paddington Bear, but a sinister, malevolent imposter who should be shot into space or nuked from space at the first opportunity, which not only is uh, frustrating in that, you know, maybe he didn't watch the full movie to to write this, but it becomes the like uh the the fandom sense of ownership over a property <laughs> yeah kind of argument yeah but it's i mean it's all it's all not real like mm-hmm. it, it, it's 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 uh it's a it's a review with a mission to tank the number so that it won't be above citizen kane like that's mm-hmm. that's all it is it's like he had to write something all of that is meaningless he's never watched yeah. this movie like i yeah i he's just doing it to bring the number down. Like that's, Mm -hmm. that's it. That's the only reason that that review exists. Uh, Last bit of trivia, a third film in the Paddington series is in development, but as we noted, Paul King is not going to return to direct it, but my fingers still crossed for at least a charming film. Mm -hmm. You know, I I don't think you, we can have the expectations of exceeding Paddington too. That's just not realistic. No, no, (laughs) but I, but I'm, I am also uh, very optimistic about his Wonka movie as a result. So that's right. That's why he's not doing Paddington 3. He's shifted over to the Wonka film, right? Yeah, yeah. With Tim- Timothy Chalamet as a, lo- oh. a young, hunky Willy Wonka. <laughs> uh, I, I loved how like the internet was like, we, we don't need another one. And then like you can just quickly start rattling off the other franchises that we get so many more films from. And But, but Wonka is the one that people... Like this is a bridge too far to have a third adaptation. Yeah. Well, I think it's because the second one people hated so much that... <laughs> I, I think that's what's sticking in their craw. Right. Um, but yeah. All right. Well, before we move on to the plot summary, we want to thank you listeners for downloading this episode. And we would especially like to thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you would like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our monthly quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we talk about the media that we've been consuming that we are not yet covering as full episodes of the podcast. And all patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. Spoiler zone summary for Paddington 2. Uh, so in the first Paddington uh, movie, Paddington came to London, and now he is a fully integrated member of his community, and his presence makes everyone happier. He wants to get a present to send back home to his Aunt Lucy, but he needs money to get an antique pop-up book. 
uh, which he, his, his aunt Lucy has always wanted to see London. And this is a pop-up book of London. So he thinks it'd be a very special gift, but he doesn't have enough money. So we get a montage of Paddington trying various jobs, including a lot of window washing. This film has a lot of montages. And when montages are done right, I am just a sucker for them. I love them oh, yeah. so much. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and I could, I could watch a montage of the montages from Paddington too, because they're all done right. Um, <laughs> however, this book that he's trying to buy is stolen and Paddington is framed for the crime and arrested. The thief returns home and takes off his hair and makeup and uh, disguise. And we learn that it is Phoenix Buchanan, a washed up actor who tries to rel- relive his glo- glory days, but is now known for his appearances in dog food commercials. And this is Hugh Grant having the time of his life from all appearances. Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, In prison, Paddington is at first an outcast, but he befriends the other inmates and reveals their softer sides. The short-tempered and intimidating chef, Knuckles, invites Paddington to help him make marmalade after he tastes one of Paddington's famous marmalade sandwiches. Uh, The Browns, meanwhile, want to prove Paddington's innocence and are trying to solve the mystery of who actually stole the book. Phoenix Buchanan is following a series of clues in the book. Each night, he dons a new disguise and sneaks into a location from the pop-up book. Phoenix's ancestor was a stage uh, magician, who knew the woman who made the book. She had a huge treasure that she had hidden and Phoenix's grandfather, I think it was his grandfather. Is that right? Is that how far back it is? I think so, yeah. Uh, his grandfather was obsessed with finding this treasure and she had hidden the clues to, to how to find it uh, in, in the pop-up book. So Paddington is struggling to stay positive in prison. He misses the Browns greatly. Knuckles tells him that people on the outside always forget people on the inside. The Browns suspect Phoenix and sneak into his house and discover an attic with mannequins wearing all of his old costumes from his greatest performances. Because of their investigations, uh, they miss Paddington's visiting hours, which starts to make Paddington feel like maybe the Browns have already forgotten him feeling abandoned paddington now agrees to help some of his fellow inmates who have offered to help him break out and clear his name they need paddington's smaller size for their plan to work after they break out though the inmates reveal that they are going to run and are not going to stay in the city to help paddington disappointed paddington leaves them as they fly off in an airplane Paddington makes contact with the Browns and realizes that they did not abandon him. They've worked out that Phoenix is using the book or taking the book onto a train that houses an old steam organ that is touring the country as part of a classic old timey fair or carnival. Uh, The woman who hid the treasure left a sequence of musical notes hidden around London. When those notes are played on this organ, a secret compartment opens to reveal the treasure. Paddington reaches the train as is leaving and uses sticky candy apples to traverse the outside of the train. Like think um, like the classic cartoon uh, plunger suction cup thing, except (laughs) it's sticky candy apples. Uh, He's put them on his feet and he walks along uh, the train and he reaches the car where Phoenix is and he uses the sticky candy apples to hang from the ceiling and steal the book. And then a wild chase ensues across the train. Uh, Meanwhile, the Brown family, whose son had a major steam engine fascination the past summer, gets on another train to chase down the train that Paddington and Phoenix are on. Lots of hijinks ensue. Every member of the family has a moment to shine where their, their uh, you know, most recently mentioned talent is key to uh, them saving Paddington. In the end, Phoenix is captured and Paddington is rescued with the help of the Brown family and also those three prisoners who had escaped. They come back to help him in the end. Paddington falls ill for a few days and he wakes up in a panic on his uh, because it is his Aunt Lucy's birthday and he has not sent a gift to her. But his friends and family reveal that they have arranged for Aunt Lucy to come visit Paddington in London and uh, she knocks on the door and he goes to see her. During the credits that are rolling, we find out that the prisoners who help Paddington have been pardoned. Knuckles has opened a sandwich shop, Knuckles Sandwiches. And <laughs> we also see that Phoenix Buchanan in prison performs an amazing large scale Busby Berkeley style musical number with all of his fellow prisoners and guards as backup dancers. And it is one of the greatest bits of filmmaking in history for an end credits gag. There is so much production value in this sequence. Incredible. It's also worth noting how necessary these credit scenes and sequences are because for this movie, because otherwise you're rolling into the credits, bawling your eyes out. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because the scene when when Paddington sees his Aunt Lucy in London and his whole goal has been like to give her a taste of London. It's legitimately moving. And I think one of my favorite moves that the story does is that on the one hand, this whole plot is a treasure hunt, right? Mm-hmm. Phoenix Buchanan hunting for this treasure. But in the end, Paddington and his family, like no one cares about that treasure. Paddington just cares about his aunt Lucy. That's it. Yeah. You know, like it feels so corny to say like his family was the treasure all along. 
It really is. <laughs> and it's a, but it's, it's presented in a way that doesn't feel that corny. It feels moving when you see it. Yeah. 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 That's the thing. I, you know, when you just explain the plot of Paddington 2, this movie sounds insane. <laughs> so bizarre. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing when I was when I was writing up the summary. I'm like, I am not doing this justice because so much of it is about the tone of the acting and the little delightful wit that gets added to so yeah. many scenes and the callbacks to classic cinema. Like there's direct homages to Charlie Chaplin's Modern Times and things like that mm-hmm. uh, that mm-hmm. just feel special when you're seeing them here. Yeah. Yeah, and just like all of the the, the the specific little character moments for every single character in the movie, you know, mm-hmm. um, even even things like the like things get paid off like positively and negatively because like I was just thinking about just the insane thing of of the the grandma is like getting into magic and she like plays with with Paddington in the morning and like pretends to pull a, a coin out from behind his ear and he's like oh how did that get there and he puts it back in his ear and so now he has a coin in his ear the whole movie that he's constantly <laughs> trying to take out and pay for things and people say no and then later when he's escaped prison and needs to make a phone call he pulls the coin out of his ear to be able to use <laughs> to make the phone call like that's really great and then you also have the thing with the the barbershop scenario where Mm -hmm. a guy comes in to get his hair cut and the barber has left uh paddington behind to sort of clean up while he goes to lunch or whatever and this customer demands that paddington cut his hair and of course paddington he messes it up and this guy is horrified he's got like a like just like yeah just like a run down (laughs) his uh his 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 head uh bald spot and uh and then that guy ends up being the judge that sends Paddington to prison for stealing a pop-up book. Like, <laughs> so that you can't cry foul when you're like, well, he just stole a pop-up book and he's a bear. No, this judge would have done everything <laughs> possible to him within the law to send this bear to prison because he ruined his hair. And I think one of the charges that he gets sent to prison for is uh, causing grievous barbary harm. Yeah. (laughs) Barbary harm. Just just getting a little pun in. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So good. Yeah. And like every uh, family member. So like it mentions the mom is trying to swim the English Channel because she's been drawing adventures in children's books and wants to have her own adventure and her swimming skills become super important at the end. So just so many of these setups. Uh, you know, matter at the end, but I love it when the setups don't feel like a setup because they they work as a joke already, right? You know yes. the, the, that that you feel like it's already been paid off, and then it's scenes later that it gets called back, and that's that's the best kind of writing to me for for the yes. you know the, when you can land that that level of humor uh, and make it significant to the the plot, but also just make the audience kind of like get a chuckle of joy. I mean, yeah. it's just landing so perfectly here. Yeah, no, it's 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 just. Perfect. And I uh, I watched this with uh, with my kids on, on Sunday in preparation for this podcast. And I just want to shout out two things that made them laugh so hard we, we couldn't hear what was going on. Uh, <laughs> one, kids love, from the very beginning, sight gags with bears and toothbrushes. <laughs> where Oh, yeah. <laughs> Paddington shoves the electric toothbrushes into his nostrils and then his ears and then tastes what at the very end. They were dying. And then the other moment that they laughed hardest at, which I wasn't expecting this, there's um, Hugh Bonneville's character it mentions at the beginning, like he's had a midlife crisis and is taking up yoga. Uh, and then during the train sequence, his, he gets caught between the two trains as the, the tracks start to diverge. And, and so it's stretching him out and he shifts down into like a full split, but like focuses himself. And you hear like an, an overlay of like yoga music and, and a voice saying something like really relax the mind and the legs will relax or something like that. Yeah. And they were dying with laughter at this image <laughs> of Hugh Bonneville between the two trains. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Um, So for this film, like there's the very on the nose message of be kind, show empathy, you know, care Mm -hmm. about other people. But is there anything else here that makes this film feel so special when you watch it? Oh, man. I mean, honestly, in 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 the world that we live in, I feel like that's enough. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um. I I really do think that we're on the verge of a nice in terms of like we got 
because everything in the early 2000s up to like the mid the mid you know 2010s everything has been very cynical and very just like snarky right snarky and plot driven and like just like nobody cares about emotion it's a waste of time and like you know nobody wants um kind of detachment like the gen x kind of detachment but turned up a little bit more yeah and then and then there there was the whole anti-hero run of like you know on television with your with your tony sopranos and And your your breaking Breaking bads yeah exactly uh, mad men but even right, even right. like with kids kids uh entertainment like the whole like Shrek wave where it's like okay we're we're doing uh lots of sarcastic humor and jokes for adults and kids and lots of self-referentiality pop culture that kids won't know um and it you know it moved away from I, I think there was a sense that like the is a story that's that's sweet is too simple right yeah yeah I think so I think people just thought it was it's not real you know I want I want it to be real and what I think that this movie does is just sort of like snub its nose at that idea of like, (laughs) no, it's only real because you make it real. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, that's literally the point of the movie is like, you know, if you if you're if you're kind and polite, you know, uh, the world will be nice. And, And, you know, it's it's kind of a beautiful sentiment of like you get what you put out in the world, you know, um, and and I think that that's, uh, really special, especially because, this movie isn't even much in the way that Ted Lasso is, you know, everyone was like, oh yeah, it's a movie about, or it's a show about a, a nice guy who uh, changes the world around him to also being nice. And, but then, you know, as you go along, you, you learn that there's more to that and there's a cost to that and, and things like that, which is really interesting. Um, but Paddington is similar, right? It's like, that's his whole philosophy and that's what he's always putting out there. But sometimes that's not enough because sometimes someone is bad enough that, you know, they're going to ruin your niceness. You know, you're going to, you're going to get <laughs> sent to prison for something you didn't do, you know, um, or the, or the, or, equivalent. Um, and so what's uh, I, Peter, Peter Capaldi, uh, what, his yes. character um, yes. is also where it's like, it's, it's not, a villain in terms of having scheming machinations the way Phoenix Buchanan does, which right. side note, Phoenix Buchanan is a wonderful name. Well done. Yes. Uh, but he's a villain in that, like his whole purpose is he doesn't want, I think he calls them undesirables, right? Is yes. that, isn't that what he calls Paddington? Yeah. Like it's, it's barely coded language about prejudice against foreigners in, in London, uh, you know, right. with, with Peter Capaldi's character. Uh, and it's, um, the, the little messages of how integrated Paddington is into his community at the beginning and how, you know, he's helping everyone and everyone's, you know, days are better and, and, and are more pleasant when he, when he's there to, to doing the same montage when he's gone and everything just feels a little bit off. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I think that's, that's as important a, a like sub theme to pad, you know, the, the version of Paddington putting niceness out there is that, you know, th- there's different kinds of villainy <laughs> out there. Uh, that that are going to ruin things. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, and uh, and so I I like that the movie isn't just about it's it's about like how spreading it's not about just having that energy personally it's about spreading that energy that sort of positive energy and that positive outlook with everyone else. Because it does come back because, yeah, he does get in trouble for something that he didn't do. But everyone comes together. To It's kind of like It's a Wonderful Life, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually a very similar arc. And uh, except that, you know, Paddington goes to prison instead of uh, attempting suicide. But um, <laughs> which is <laughs> somehow the, the bear going to prison and being like horribly intimidated by by everyone that he meets there is less dark than yes. <laughs> a wonderful life. <laughs> yes. Uh, but it, it does have a very similar ending of, of all the whole town coming together and be like, you you helped us when we needed you. And so now we're all here to help you. And, and it's it's this sort of um, vision of of community uh, in the in the um, like the most earnest positive sense of it you know yeah and and i love the phrase that used of a a nice right yeah and it makes me think about like it's a wonderful life you know as a christmas movie became a punchline for you know the the schmaltzy emotion right the you know and and similarly like 
uh, Mr. Rogers, right? As children's television. And there's right. been like this reclamation of both, I think, of saying, yep. no, these these are actually uh, really good. And I'm thinking about like some of the, we did have the wave of the more uh, embittered or sarcastic Christmas movies. But then like in the last couple of years, we had something like Klaus, which is all about community yes. and empathy and and again, caring, caring for others. So I think you're, you're right that we're seeing uh, something of a, a thematic change uh, happening yeah. in a lot of the media. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. And I think that Ted Lasso was the final piece that we needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the sort of, um, you know, uh, it, it's allowed to be schmaltzy and also have F-bombs. And I think that that's going to open a lot of people's eyes to the idea of like, oh, being nice isn't, bad like you're not lame for being nice you know mm-hmm. it's it actually takes a lot of bravery to be nice in this world um because you're not always going to get niceness back returned to you you know and that can feel embarrassing mm-hmm. uh but but i think that i think it's what the world needs and uh and and so you know i i think paddington too really helped us start down this path path of a of a niceness <laughs> I hope that word breaks out <laughs> somehow. I don't um, think I'm nearly famous enough for it to, for it to happen. Well, but. I, I don't think uh, this podcast is going to be the one that breaks it out. I just hope it does somehow. <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to read a little bit of a, a quote from a review of the film from The Ringer, and it's by K. Austin Collins. Um, and uh, I, I just had remembered someone mentioning Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton when I was looking at reviews back you know years ago and i was like who was it and when i googled it this is one that came up and it concludes by saying the movie is a fun reminder that the spirits of innovators like charlie chaplin and buster keaton mixed in with heavy doses of wes anderson amelier and other models of whimsy are still alive doled out to kids in favor of the high-flying bombastic pool crap being dredged up every year to satisfy adults it's a reminder too that moral lessons are often most convincing when pared down to their essentials and spoon-fed to children the driving engine of paddington 2 is in plot it's empathy on that subject, I wager many of the parents in the audience need a refresher. Paddington 2 may be a fun time for the kids, but its real wisdom in the end is what in what it has to say to adults. And uh, I think that, you know, is a nice little capper <laughs> to, to what you're saying about the nice assaults. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but in the spirit of, uh, you know, some people might feel like the... Uh, you know that that simple moral message or, or kind of almost the like the Abel's Aesop's fables morality tale at the end where it's like you see you know empathy is so important you need that spoonful of sugar to make that go down where some people might say well I don't know if I need that and I just really want to emphasize how fun this film is yes. <laughs> to watch and laugh out loud visual gags um, they really must have studied silent film classics uh, and I'm very comfortable with saying that because of the the, the Paddington through the gears is Charlie Chaplin in modern times. Uh, right. But some of the window washing bits feel Harold Lloyd and Buster Keaton esque mm-hmm. uh, in, in what they do. So there's these charming uh, visual gags that they do, which I I'm trying to think through, like how do you set up uh, everything for the timing w- between the practical and the, the CGI of Paddington to do the, everything that they do with the video gags. It may actually be harder that it's CGI to actually get everything, yeah. uh, you know, you, to, to work together. Cause there are those practical elements of, of the sets that are using, but then this CGI bear that that's involved in everything. And you get wonderful reactions from uh, the actors who are, are looking at Paddington doing all these things, but then also there's just legitimately funny lines and excellent delivery from, mm-hmm. from, from the whole cast. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. And again, the the set design is just fun to look at. It's bright colored. It's uh, yeah, oh, I, I just can't sing the praises enough of. Yeah, it's sort of um, I, if I if I had to like, I guess, like describe it, I, I would say that the that the Paddington movies are sort of like early Barry Sonnenfeld mixed with Wes Anderson. Like if you so a can, little bit of uh, pushing daisies. Barry little, well, no, I would say, I would say, I would say early. Or, okay. uh, Cause I, I think that the, these movies weirdly tonally have a lot in common with the Adams family movies. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Just because like the way that the humor works, the way that it'll just dip in and out of slapstick, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and have like these, big wild characters that you'll just show up and everybody acts like it's normal. Um, I definitely can see some pushing daisies in there as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, especially with the sort of like colors and everything. Um, but it has a little bit more of a, I I don't know. It's a little more grounded, 
um, than I say, I think Pushing Daisies is. Which is strange to say about a film about a, a talking teddy bear, basically. Yes, yes. <laughs> and I, I think it is also important, like, in terms of, like, establishing this world, it's just there's a talking bear and no one cares, right? You know, right. It, we're not going to explain this. <laughs> we're we're not going to make any effort. It's just this is the world that we're in. And for a kid's movie, I think you can make that move and it's just fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I like what you said about the uh, like the Adams family, where there's like the strangeness, but it's just the world. So that's that's it. <laughs> this yep. is what, we, what what we have here. Yep. Uh, and instead of the contrast being the normalcy of everyone else and the creepiness of um, Adams family, I think a lot of the comedy that gets mined is from the goodness of Paddington versus the cynicism of other people around him. You know the yep. the, the the world around him, uh, which it, it's uh, you're you're still mining a similar vein of comedy it's just you're you're flipping where the extreme pole is and, and right. what like the uh the what's supposed to be the normal right? which in the adams family the normal is you know the the buttoned up uh suburbia and for paddington the normal is this you know a, li- a little more uh ryan sarcastic uh cynicism right right oh i like talking about stuff with you scott it, it, it brings clarity <laughs> to, to some of what I love. Uh, and another thing that I want to shout out is uh, Hugh Grant's monologue in his attic when he gets mm-hmm. to pl- playfully do accents from all of his most famous roles. So in his attic, he has mannequins of all his past roles. And he sits at, uh, you know, the classic like makeup mirror with all the lights around the edge. And he glances at the different mannequins in the mirror. And then he does the voice of him playing Macbeth and he has an argument with himself. And it is just a tour de force of an actor having fun, but also doing a lot in the scene to make it work. (laughs) It's so good that you forget that it's just him. Like you're Mm -hmm. not, it's not that you forget. It's just like, you're not really like comprehending it while you're watching it, (laughs) that the scene is just him. Uh, yeah. it, it's kind of insane, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and then you just like, you leave the scene and you're like, I just watched Hugh Grant talk to himself for five minutes <laughs> and and doing like a half dozen different voices. Maybe I'm not sure yeah. the exact number. <laughs> yeah, no, it's incredible. <laughs> and, uh, I think there's something to be said for, um, like the, the pleasure that actors are having in doing a film, like that can actually translate to the audience experience. Where I, I think there are some films or performances where you can t- like, there's just a sense of maybe drudgery or or just work about it, you know, yeah. a- a- and it becomes less pleasant to watch. Um, I remember like this is going to be a really extreme example. Uh, my daughter was just had a, a Hallmark Christmas movie on, and I think it was Tom Arnold was in it, and you could tell Tom Arnold could not care less. <laughs> That. Sure. It, like you, you could feel the lines being fed to him <laughs> from the side. Oh yeah, and and just uh, it just felt like he his disdain for for being here in his career was just kind of like ruining the film. Which I mean, Hallmark films are not trying to be high art, but they're trying to they have a formula they're trying to reach for their audience, and and he was kind of ruining it <laughs> because he didn't he, he you know he wasn't he wasn't trying, and to see an actor like Hugh Grant who you know is has a stature as a serious actor as well, but to just be fully invested in this goofy persona of Phoenix Buchanan, uh, the joy actually comes off the screen. I think the audience gets swept up along with that. Yes, absolutely. Is there anything else that you want to make sure we praise about Paddington too? <laughs> um, I yeah. I mean, ask, I, like, are there any nits to pick? And I just don't, I don't have a single one myself. Maybe. No, you. no, there is. Uh, there, there are absolutely, when I say it's a perfect movie, it's a perfect movie. I mean, it, 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 there, there are, there's nothing. There's no, there's no, absolutely no nits to pick. Um, I think that cause, cause like the one thing that I thought of while I was watching it was like, uh, the fact that, he gets arrested for stealing a pop-up book, but nobody knows where the pop-up book is. Yeah. Like if he stole it, where is it? Yeah. Yeah. That would be, that would be the only, that would be the only thing that I could see as a, as a nitpick. But like, I feel like they explained it at one point where it was like, there was, there was a reason why they weren't like chasing down the pop-up book. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. Oh, I can't remember for sure. I, I was talking to my children while I was watching it. So I may have missed the <laughs> line. Or two yeah. There. The explanation. Um, <laughs> But I mean, this is a film that has Brendan Gleeson playing 
a chef named Knuckles, and there is a beautiful montage of him making marmalade with a bear. Like, what is this? <laughs> like, when you say stuff like that, it's like, what? What is this film? How and why did this get bankrolled with a mil- you know millions of dollars in its budget? But I'm so glad that it did. <laughs> and Brendan yeah. Gleeson's performance as Knuckles. I, it took me a minute to realize it was Brendan Gleeson. Like, oh, that's <laughs> that's Brendan oh, Gleeson. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. No, he is so cuddly in this movie like he's he is the best and the fact that like you know his sort of cynical nature his his meanness you don't he doesn't ever like have like a monologue in the movie where he's like explaining why he feels the way he just little hints throughout the movie where you're like oh i i see why he is the way that he is and how paddington is changing him Mm -hmm. he just like He's so self-conscious. He's because probably a parent was like constantly being like, you're terrible, (laughs) you know, and 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 it's just affected him so much that he just doesn't trust anybody. And he certainly doesn't trust himself. And and so, you know, he he sort of has relied on his on his knuckles. (laughs) <laughs> um, you know, to to get anywhere in the world, and uh, and and Paddington teaches him a better way of uh, putting his knuckles down and and using his heart, um, and that's kind of beautiful. I just I love it so much. I love him in this so much. He's he's so good, and I like him as Mad Eye Moody, but like I think this is a superior performance. <laughs> and uh. Uh, just shouting out things my children loved again. There's one scene when they're starting to make the marmalade and Paddington has spilled all these um, bags of oranges. Yeah. And and, uh, Knuckles is like, we'll move, move them one at a time, meaning the bags. But then Paddington starts to carry, and it's hundreds of oranges. He starts to carry one orange at a time across the room and setting it on the counter and then walking back and getting one orange. While saying one juicy orange. (laughs) And you see Brendan Gleeson's eyes track, like a close up of his eyes, like tracking from the left to the right as Paddington passes and then back across to the left as he (laughs) walks back. And and like one orange barely passes like up through the screen in the, in the foreground in front of his eyes. That was something that absolutely killed my children too. They they were loving that. Incredible. <laughs> so, so much. And it's little like that's such a little moment. You know, like th- th- them choosing, like, we're gonna find comedy in tracking Brendan Gleason's eyes for 15 seconds. Uh, you know, and it, it's simultaneously a small moment, but they actually hold it for so long it becomes a big moment. But it's those little ch- those kinds of choices throughout the whole the, you know, the film where it's like, okay, this is we're committing to this bit. Uh, and, and if any of the, the bits don't work, you're really going to feel it because they really do commit to these montages of Paddington washing windows throughout London and montages, you know, the, the, the whole physical comedy bit of the the uh, in the barbershop. Like if that doesn't work, it's, you know, four minutes of screen time where you've lost an audience. Yeah. Uh, well, but- and, it, it, and, and it doesn't the slot because there was a lot of slapstick in the first movie, too, just like that of like. Paddington getting into a situation where he doesn't understand these <laughs> human things, mm-hmm. uh, human contraptions, and then just getting overwhelmed and w- basically taking the situation into the absolute worst extreme that it could possibly go. <laughs> um, and, and it happens multiple times in the movie. I mean, I mean, literally, like probably a dozen scenes play out that way. Um, yeah. And you never get tired of it. Because it's so funny every time. But even in the first one, there were there were several scenes that were like that as well. But if you've ever seen the trailer to the first Paddington, um, I mean, they made it look like, you know, like a like a bad kids movie, you know, or like they, um, like, like a, a whole the whole thing was like a Looney Tunes cartoon, because those bits do make me feel like Looney Tunes cartoons a little bit, you know, where we yeah. get this this sequence. Uh, but it's just a small portion of what Paddington two is, um, it, you know, is this like vignette of, of Looney Tunes zaniness. Right. Uh, but and it's the, the all whole film is about, you know, those, those empathy and, and film. And it's not like you're saying, it's, it's not like a Bugs Bunny character. It's just the situation Paddington is finding himself in. Yeah, right. It's just that he tries so hard to do the thing, but cannot do it because he's just a dumb little bear <laughs> that, you know, it's going to, he's going to mess it all up. And, uh, and it's the best. Yeah. And it, it, like you said, he, he's a dumb little bear. He doesn't understand the world he is that he's in at all. Like he does not understand these human customs, no. but he, he charms anyone who takes the time to get to know him because not, not because of his, his wit or his wisdom or his cleverness or any of the things, um, you know, that, that a lot of protagonists use as their core power. It really just is be kind <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and have a marmalade sandwich. And that's <laughs> what, it, what, what his superpower is marmalade and kindness. Yep. 
Yep. He'll never change Peter Capaldi, though. He's always going to hate him. But <laughs> you can't fix racism. <laughs> yeah, so. that's, that's, that's basically why that bit's in there. <laughs> also, also, he's still holding a grudge from uh, uh, losing uh, Nicole Kidman in the last movie. Because <laughs> he thought he was going to have a fling with Nicole Kidman. I mean, I, I, this cast is just so amazing. But yeah. For both the films. Like, how do you get Nicole Kidman to come in and do this? How do you get Hugh Grant? It's because Well, I mean, Nicole Kidman was kind of like on a downswing when she did paddington and then it was she the paddington was the start of her upswing again mm-hmm. um so you you had your you already had your kidman assance uh <laughs> from there and then and then this led to the hugh grant assance also because hugh grant is just starting to pop up in things all the time now and he's so he's so good at everything yeah. so yeah uh, yeah i mean i know you already staked a claim on uh on uh um Oh, uh, the, the, the villain Colin, for the next Colin one, Firth. Colin Firth. But yeah. uh, on the other hand, like, is there any actor who's you know you haven't seen for a few years and and doesn't feel like they're getting the roles they used to that we might want to reclaim? This, I mean, know, honestly, Colin might be the vehicle was, for that. What was the last Colin Firth movie that made any had any traction? Was it the King's Speech? Because it's, that was like ten years ago, fifteen years ago. Yeah, I mean, he does, shows up. Does in, Kingsman uh, count? The Kingsman, but that's not really a Colin oh, Firth right. film, though. Uh, yeah, I guess that's true. I guess he does have Kingsman. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's but I but I will say here, here here's my pitch. He's playing a film critic and he's the only guy who's gonna not review a movie <laughs> properly because he is so cynical. I mean that uh, feels like a little of ratatouille he's gonna pull in at this point. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> I, I mean, I would watch it. I would. I, I'll be honest. I would. Well, I mean, I was, it, it, it could definitely was, work because, uh, like we said, Paddington Two is not without homages and references to other classic stories. As long as right. you're borrowing, borrow from the great ones. And borrowing and from Ratatouille know, would be at, doing that too. Yeah, and we know he knows his way around a kitchen, so <laughs> he just serves marmalade, a marmalade sandwich. It's going to be yeah. the big finale. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Scott, thank you for coming on to chat about Paddington Two for a little bit, listeners. If you haven't seen this, I, I am not doing a sarcastic bit when I say this movie is perfect. Yes, <laughs> it, it really is just a fantastic film, and particularly uh, if you have kids, I, I think this is one of those films that you could get into the rotation for for your kids uh, and and have uh, fun tradition. Like find a time of year where it's like, okay, it's time to watch Paddington Two, and you should watch it every year. <laughs> so you, know? you, yeah, well, you know those kids who. And, and and I mean, like I, I was definitely one of these kids and my brothers were definitely these kids, but uh, maybe not every kid is like this. But, you know, those kids that are just like they get hooked on one movie and they just want to watch that one movie over and over and mm-hmm. over and over again. Your life as a parent could be so much easier if you made Paddington <laughs> 2 that movie. <laughs> Both because of uh, you're going to enjoy sitting down to watch it with them, but also uh, because the message is going to make your kids better. <laughs> yes, true. Very true. So, you know, <laughs> you could do worse. Yeah. I, I, I found my kids like do that less than I remember doing it myself because there's so many options in front of them. Whereas like uh... when I was a kid, it's like what's on TV right now when I get home from school, that's the show that I can watch. <laughs> like True. I need to be into, into DuckTales because I have no other option. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would, I would just watch movies we owned over and yeah. over and over and over. Yeah. Again. And definitely. Yeah. We had the VHS and to a degree, my kids have done that with like uh star Wars more than anything else. Uh, mm. You know, the original trilogy, but at the same time, it's, you know, it's like they have so much on, uh, you know, Netflix or, you know, very streaming services that they they don't feel the need to go back quite as much as as I did, where it's like I knew exactly how to get to the start of Karate Kid, uh, you know, on <laughs> when it was the, the second movie of three movies on the same VHS tape right. <laughs> that was recorded on EP. <laughs> right. Yes. Oh, my God. My clo- my my hall closet at home was just full of those. Um <laughs> The library had no idea that they were giving my family a whole collection of movies. <laughs> oh, man, yeah, our, our kids are never going to understand no. what, what that was like. No, no, definitely not. All right. Well, thank you again, Scott, uh, for coming on. Thank you, listeners, yeah. for uh, listening to this episode. I think we're going to wrap up. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We would like to thank Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. I want to remind you that we have a uh, Dueling Genre Discord channel where you can interact with all the hosts of Dueling Genre shows. Scott, is there anything you would like to plug? 
Yeah, please check out my uh, new podcast, Franchiseography. Uh, it is a uh, podcast about uh, franchises, uh, film franchises, and um, each mini series uh, is focused on a different franchise. Uh, myself and my co host, Nick Jimenez, basically just go through the history of the franchises movie by movie and we talk about the development of the films and we dig deep we try to find as much dirt and and details as possible to sort of talk about what makes this movie this movie um and and, and the you franchise know, that franchise right 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 um and so we our first mini series was about uh the men in black franchise and then we moved on to the scream franchise and then we uh, we just we recently wrapped up the X Men franchise, which was like a really long one. It was our whole summer. Um, that's that's where Joe joined us for X Men First Class, which is a great episode. Um, I mean, so, the X Men franchise is just a glorious mess. My goodness, yes. you you don't know what you're getting from one film to the next. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, but but we we go into the why of of mm-hmm. all of that of like why was New Mutants the way that it was? Well. We talk about it. We talk about uh, we 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 break down uh, everything about it, and and we did the same thing with First Class and every other film in the X Men franchise. And um, we're releasing Spy Kids in October, and then uh, starting in November, we're going to be doing the live action films of Wes Anderson, which isn't a franchise per se, but we're saying it counts because he reuses a lot of the same actors and all of his films have a very similar theme and a look to them. And it really does feel like each film is like a sequel to the one that came before it. I, I think you'd call it like an aesthetic franchise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. You absolutely know when you're watching a Wes Anderson film. Yes, totally. So, Earlier, I mentioned that you know, auteur theory is not all it's cracked up to be because there's so many people involved. Wes Anderson is also like the kind of director where it's like I understand why auteur theory arises. <laughs> with, yeah, with like Wes Anderson. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. But as we learned in our uh, behind the scenes stuff through the Wes Anderson process, is that he is not the only person responsible for the Wes Anderson look. Um, but yeah. It's uh, it's it's kind of interesting in that way, um, but uh, more on that if you listen to the <laughs> to our Wes Anderson miniseries. Yes. And you said that one will be in November. <laughs> yeah, that starts in November and runs us all the way to the end of the year, and then we're starting 2022 with the Matrix. Well, this episode will be dropping in early November, so it's a good tease. Uh, yeah, for that. Uh, well, thank you again, listeners. We'll be back next week to discuss another great character and a great story. So long. was a lot of noise <laughs> <laughs> to me like, it was hardly anything at all <laughs> it was a, a real paddington move joe <laughs> real unpleasant <laughs>